you so much. That was great. So I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is, first service, we got out a little early. Uh, the bad news is, someone in the Sunday school class that is in here now kind of made a joke about how long I talk, so I'm going to have to change that for this service and go a little bit longer, so I hope you're ready for dinner. I don't know what time the Reds play today, but I assume we'll be done by then. Uh, so, I don't know if you saw in the news, but Britain's oldest woman turned 114. This was a pretty big deal, and they did that token interview where they kind of talked to her and asked these questions like, hey, how did you get to be uh, this, how did you live to be this long? That's the best way to say that. How did you live this long? And, you know, are there any secrets and all these tips and everything? And she said, I actually uh, take a walk every night at midnight. And that's what's kept me young. And so the, the person interviewing is like, what? That's, that's shocking. Like, aren't, aren't you afraid? Like, haven't you heard uh, about this, this rash of uh, muggings in the last several years? And she said, I'm not concerned about that. And I'm going to keep mugging people as long as it keeps me healthy. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so we are continuing the Amazing Acts series. And I love this series because it is about the church. And it is about taking everything that Jesus said throughout his entire ministry, throughout the Gospels, as we saw him lead his people and lead the disciples and train them, and then starting the church and putting it into action and showing everyone this is what we're about. And they went and they talked and they built and they loved. And it's so cool to see so many. We see someone like Peter who was so up and down throughout his time with Jesus and, and got so much right and so much wrong and he was all over the place. And then now that he's starting the church, he has that confidence and that courage and that conviction. And it shows it. He shows it everywhere. And we see people like Saul who are murderers and jerks and go around and then all of a sudden Jesus touches them and changes them. And he did so much to build the church. And we see so many people throughout and so many powerful stories. And we still live in the days of Acts because God still acts. And we are still the church and he acts through us. And so I want to go to Acts chapter 17 verses 22 through 34. And there will be a reason for the readings we had today. And I'll go over that in a little bit. Uh, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I noticed that you were very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So this is Paul speaking before the Areopagus. And basically, I know that you guys all know what that is, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it is the gathering place for like the people who thought they were the smartest in the world, all of the philosophers and everybody in Greece who, who really wanted to have all the answers and believed they had all the answers. And, and there were so many there. It was the intellectual center of Athens. And so everybody there liked to talk. And they didn't so much like to listen, but they liked to talk. And they had seen Paul talking about this Jesus and about this resurrection. And they'd heard a little bit of his message, and they knew a little bit of him. And they're like, that's kind of novel. We've not had somebody like this in before. Let's see what he does. And so they called him in to talk. 
And so Paul obviously takes that opportunity because he's like, this is a new mission field. This is a place to talk. This is a time for me to share the message. And so he goes in. And a little bit about the philosophers there. Essentially, they were split into two camps, the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers. And so the Epicureans, they believed that pleasure is the chief purpose of life. That that's it. Everything is about being happy and everything is about what can you give me and everything is about the, the, that short-term happiness and the pleasure that you can bring. Kind of sounds familiar, right? They did not deny gods, but they thought they had nothing to do with anything because they thought they were above everything. They're like, our pleasure means more than anything else. What could a god do? And so they were there and they talked about that. And then the Stoics... They believed that a life of proud dignity was above everything else. That you had to appear to be dignified. You had to appear to have everything together. And that's what's most important is that appearance to other people. And they believed that everything was God. And that God was everything. Which is kind of close. But they believed because of that you shouldn't resist anything. That because God is everything, anything that comes to you, good, bad, ugly, like you should take it and, and accept it. They didn't believe in anything other than what they believed. They, they're like, hey, don't resist anything. Everything is God. Just listen to us. And so those are the camps that Paul is speaking in front of. And so a lot of them are already kind of making fun of him because he doesn't use a lot of the philosophical niceties that a lot of people use. So basically he didn't talk right. And so they're kind of listening and he's ma they're making fun of him a little bit and he's talking and he's sharing. Now normally... He begins with exposition of scripture. And so he'll, he'll open with something from the Old Testament or in his day, the Testament. And so he'll, he'll open with that and he'll read the scripture and uh, he'll, he'll start to expose it and talk about it and share it and then lead into the resurrection. And that's what he did. But today in this message, he changes it a little bit. Now he doesn't change the truth and he doesn't change the importance and he doesn't change his beliefs, but he knows his crowd has these weird and wrong ideas about God, and so he's going to them and he's talking about God first. And he finds common ground, he finds a bridge. So often, we want everybody to hear things the way that we want to say them. But Paul shows us, no, no, no. It is about bringing Jesus to the people in a way that they understand. It's about sharing him so that you can build a bridge, so that you can help them to see. And so when he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking from scriptures they understand. When he's talking to the Greeks, he's talking in a way that they get it, and he's talking about things they need to hear. Again, he's not changing the message or the truth. He's just changing the way that he delivers it so that they get it. And a little bit about this unknown God. So Athens was filled with statues to him to the unknown God. And essentially the design was that it would cover any God that may have been rejected. And the reason for that was following a plague that had happened, uh, this guy named Epimenides had let loose a flock of sheep, which is what you do following a plague. And uh, he let loose a flock of sheep and every time one of the sheep would lay down, then they would sacrifice that sheep to the nearest God, the shrine, the statue, whatever it is. And so anytime a sheep would lie down and there's no shrine or temple near, then he would sacrifice it to an unknown god. They're like, okay, we're just going to cover everything. And the Greeks had a lot of gods. They had a pantheon. I'm sure that everybody here has seen Disney's Hercules, so you kind of have an idea of what that is. Very historically accurate. Disney's nothing if not accurate, I'll tell you that. Uh, but anyway, so... 
Paul knows all of this. And he begins by explaining God, and he finds this common ground. He's like, you guys talk about this unknown God. He's actually known. That is God. God is above all of these things that you believe. He's above all of these other pantheon gods. He is true, and he is real, and he is everything, and he is powerful, and he is here. And so Paul is sharing that, and you can imagine, imagine him getting excited as he's explaining God and putting it into their understanding. And he recognized that they needed to change their ideas about God. So again, he changes the way he speaks. Not the truth, not the message, but the way that he speaks to help them see. And so he speaks of God's power and his creation and his glory and how he is beyond anything that you can imagine. You've probably heard sometime around your life, oh, the earth is at the exact right distance for life to exist. Like God made this so perfect. And we hear that and it's like, wow, that is so true. Or you hear something about how the human body works in such a, a, an amazing way that it could only be the creator, and that is also true. But I, I want to go a little deeper than that. So I was reading a book recently about string theory and quantum physics, as you do. And uh, I'm a nerd. And uh, it was a science-related text. And as I'm reading it, and it's science, and it's about all that stuff, and I won't get into that, but the guy said something. Dr. Brian Greene, and it spoke to me so strongly. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe it's not a church-related thing, but you're somewhere and you hear a song or, or you read something or you hear something or you see someone act and you're just like, God is unmistakable here. And so this quote I want to read to you, uh, had, say, the electron been moderately heavier or lighter, or had the electric repulsion between electrons been stronger or weaker, the nuclear processes that power stars like our sun would have been disrupted. Without stars, the universe would be a very different place. Most pointedly, without the sun's heat and light, the complex chain of events that led to life on Earth would have failed to happen. So he, as a scientist, is just saying that as kind of a fact, and he's like, this is why we don't have answers to everything, but look at how cool this is. And I read that. And how can you not see, wow, God's hand is in that. Electrons, and, and I know that it's probably been a while for most of us to be in a science class, but you remember the atom, which is, makes up everything. That's why you can't trust them, they make up everything. Thanks, two people. Uh, but they make up everything, and so there's electrons, protons, and neutrons. And the electrons are these tiny little things that are always moving around, and, and they're so tiny, we cannot see them. Like, it takes the strongest microscopes to see them, but they're everywhere. They're in everything. And if they had been just any way, lighter or heavier, and they barely, like, they don't really weigh anything we'd notice now. So anyway, minuscule amounts we're talking here. Then stars wouldn't have worked. And the sun wouldn't have worked. And there wouldn't be life. That's how perfectly God plans. That's how much he knows down to the most minuscule thing, what works. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, guys, you don't get how amazing this God is, how powerful he is. And he's using things they understand. And he's like, God is in this. You have to see him. Going to verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. This is Paul speaking. And perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, uh, for in him we live and move and exist. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So Paul uses quotations from Greek poets here. And again, this shows that he's aware of who he's talking to. It's not because they're prophets, because they're not. It's not because they're, they're biblical knowledge, because they don't have that. But what they said reflected biblical, biblical truth. And so Paul saw that, and he felt it, and he tells them, and he builds again a bridge to the people he's talking to. And he continues to speak of God, and then he goes into our relationship with him, and what that means, and how God loves us. And how much he is there and how everything we do is for him and through him. And he is always around. And he has this plan for the eventual judgment of the world. And if you believe in him, it's not a scary thing. As you heard from our reading of Revelation, it's a powerful and hopeful thing to know. And that's why we had the creation and Genesis and Revelation in the readings because God is beginning and end. God is everywhere. And that plan is so perfect. And Paul is sharing this with them. And he gets into Jesus finally. And if you read through Paul, and if you haven't read through everything Paul wrote, I challenge you to do that by, let's say, tonight. And then I'll call each of you individually and we'll talk about it. Uh, but in everything he wrote, in everything he said, everywhere he was, everything was always centered around the resurrection of Jesus. Because this to him brought everything else together. Because he felt that it related to him because he had in a sense been resurrected. His old sinful life had died and he came back to this new creation and so he saw Jesus doing that and he's like, wow, Jesus is so amazing. I had to tell people about this. Because for him it made everything make sense and it was an assurance that he needed and look for a second at Paul and how different he is, how far he's come. He was once so tied to his own thoughts, to what he thought was right, that nothing else mattered. He didn't care if he said something and you disagreed with him, then you were wrong. That was it. So basically, he was an American politician. But he was so angry and so overly sure of himself that he didn't care about anything else. He was a hammer. Everything else was a nail. And then Jesus came. And he blinded him. And for the first time in that blindness, Paul could see. And now he was so willing to follow the Spirit that he was changing how he delivered. The old Paul never would have changed the way he delivered that message. The old Paul would have gotten up there and said, you guys are all dumb. And you think you're smart, but listen to me. The new Paul was like, guys, you got to hear this. It's so exciting. Listen to how I've changed and why I've changed. Listen to how powerful this is. He no longer saw everyone in every situation as the same. And sometimes we get caught up in this. Sometimes because life can be the same and life can be tough and everybody can kind of treat us the same way, we see everyone we meet as the same and we see every situation as the same and we see every person as the same and we don't change how we treat them. We don't love, we just react. We don't hope. We're just there. 
But Paul is no longer a hammer. He's now one of those cool Swiss Army pocket knives that I lose every time I get. But he now sees God in everything. And he sees the hope that Jesus brings. And he wants so badly to share that that he talks to people. And he understands that every person is different because he knows he was different. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis, which I know is a very big surprise. The freedom of God consists in the fact that no cause other than himself produces his acts, and no external obstacle impedes them, that his own goodness is the root from which they all grow, and his own omnipotence the air in which they all flower. Basically what that says is in God we have this freedom. Freedom to actually live for something greater than ourselves. Freedom to actually show that there's only one cause that truly matters. Nothing political, nothing sports-related, nothing work-related, not even anything family-related. But God at the center brings everything else together, and we show that. And it says in this quote, no external obstacle impedes them. That means nothing can stop God. Now, people can hate us because of that, and people cannot listen, and all of that can happen, but nothing stops God. Nothing stops God, and his goodness is everywhere. And it's so cool to see Paul sharing this and actually using these Greek poets and finding common ground. It would be kind of like if I started to quote Joey Vato, and all of a sudden you guys wake up and you're like, oh, I'm listening now. Or Joe Burrow, I guess that's probably the big one. For three people, that's fine. But we see that God is everywhere and in everything, and we show that to people. And no cause other than God will give us that freedom, that peace, that hope. He is everything. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and yet he loves us. He knows everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever done, every time we've ever messed up, every mistake we've ever made, every negative thought we've ever had, and yet he still loves us and still has a plan for us. Listen, Paul had no business being there. Paul was an angry jerk who murdered people. Let me emphasize, he murdered people that followed Jesus. And yet, God still saw something. Something no one else would have seen. And Paul changed because of that, because of that hope, because of that peace. Because nothing can deny God. Nothing can stop God. And he worked through Paul, which is such an amazing thing that I don't even think we realize how amazing it is. Paul was forgiven purely by grace. Just as we are forgiven purely by grace. And Paul was there. Because God sees more than we see. He knows more than we know. He loves more than we love. He helps more than we help. And he is always there. Whenever we feel weak, he gives us strength. Whenever we feel lost, he helps us find, be found. Whenever we lose hope, he reminds us that one day, every knee shall bow. And there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more sadness. And we are living for that day, yes, but we are living more so to show people the way to that day. 
wrapping up the scripture with verse 32. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So Paul went through his message and he, again, relates to them and then he gets to the part about the resurrection. And a lot of them start laughing at him. The majority of them start laughing at him because they love the idea of immortality of the soul, but they saw the body and anything material as evil, so they didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. And when Paul said that, they're like, ah, oh, this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Can you believe this? And so many of them turned from him. Let me say this about Paul. Paul was a gifted writer. Half the New Testament he wrote, and it's amazing, powerful. He was incredibly smart. He knew the scripture backwards and forwards. Not only that, he knew the laws and he knew the customs of everywhere he went. And he knew how to work within this. He knew quotes from Greek poets. He's from Rome. They're pretty big rivals. That's like the Bengals and the Steelers. Or let's go where both of them are good, IU and Purdue. Uh, I would never call Greece Purdue, I'm sorry. But he knew all of that. And he was a good speaker. He spoke all the time. He started churches and he seemed to be a great speaker. He could plan and he could lead and he knew the ins and outs of everything and he was an amazing charismatic leader. But they stopped him and they laughed at him and most of them turned away from him. You see, it doesn't matter how good you are at all of that. Not everybody's going to listen. And yet, some did. Some did. Maybe it was the two mentioned. Maybe it was 40. Maybe it was 100. Maybe it was three. Whatever the number, it doesn't matter because some listened. And Paul stopped his message and he probably spoke one-on-one -on -one with them. And then he went on to Corinth where he would try to reach more people. And I know it's so easy, and believe me, I know it's so easy to focus on who doesn't listen and what bad happens and how we mess up. And Paul probably had that feeling. He's like, man, I wish I could have reached all of them. But he also knew that not even all the disciples listened to Jesus, and Jesus is far above him. You see, not everybody is going to listen. And we can try our absolute best, and we can be our absolute best, and... For some people, it may not make a difference, but it plants a seed. And some will listen. Some will listen. You're never going to get everybody. I get it. It's so amazing what we have and how we live. And it's so powerful to, to be a Christian and to, to feel a part of this something more and to know there's something more. And sometimes that puts us into the trap of being a hammer and seeing everybody the same. And so we go and we punch people in the face with our Bible. And we don't listen about their life and we don't care about what they're going through and we don't care where they've been and we don't care what's happened. We just want to get our point across and then walk away. But God's there. And not everybody listened to Jesus, but boy, 
those that did change the world. Not everybody listened to Paul, but man, in this atmosphere where the, everybody was so crazy, and I told you what they believed and how they thought so much of pleasure, some of them changed their lives for that. And so we look at things like this, and we look at Jesus talking to the woman at the well, where she changes the subject after he points out her sin. And so many of us would take that Bible and hit her in the face and say, no, 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 listen to me. And Jesus allowed her to change it. And what happened? Her life changed. The neighborhood changed. The town changed. Everybody heard Jesus because of that. You see, you see a little girl behind me right now. You probably don't know that I have a niece, but that's Beatrice. I kind of keep it under the hat. Um, on Tuesdays, I'm talking about something about being a child. Because Jesus called us to be like children. What do children do? They're themselves. And they're real. And they don't see people by race or by belief or by where they live or by where they're from or by what they've done. They see people. And this little girl, when we go and play at the mall in like the playground area, when she's not costing me a lot of money, because it's hard to say no. I watch her play with any kid that is up there. And she just plays. And she's honest and she's truthful. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be so purely an example of Jesus that people cannot help but to see him. And Paul did that. And that's so miraculous for Paul to do that. And I have one more quote to go along with this. This is from Billy Graham, somebody who exhibited this his whole life. We are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You may be the only example of Jesus somebody sees. Because you see, people won't come in here unless they see him out there. And so how we treat other people, how we show him to other people matters. We are the witnesses. This does not mean we replace the Bible or the creed or the sermons. This means that we take them out into the world and live them out and show them. And we take them to people who do not see them or hear them. Because if people hear me, sure, they hear me. But you have to come in here or get online or whatever the other ways to see me are. Same with Andy. But you guys, you're out there. And they see you. And here's the thing. We are not perfect. But even that is a ministry because nobody's perfect. I've spoken of my mental health before. And I teach a class on Tuesdays, always keep fighting about mental health. And I go through things. And I'm very open about what I struggle with. I have been told in my life by people to not be open about what I struggle with. Because as a pastor... You're not supposed to show that type of stuff to other people. But here's what I think. I think because I struggle with that, I'm able to see people struggle. And because I admit my struggles, people are able to feel like there's hope. 
someone in the class, and I won't say who and I won't say exactly what, but they essentially said, I'm kind of an example of what they want to be, and that's terrifying to me. Because I don't like saying good things about myself. But because I'm open and because I'm here and because I allow God to work through me, I am not special. But he can do so many things through me. And if he can do it through me, he can absolutely do it through you. You see, we are not perfect, but whatever it is you struggle with, wherever it is you mess up, if you are honest with your struggle and you help people see how you got through it, that helps them get through it. Paul didn't hide from his past. He showed people what he'd done. He talked about the resurrection. Peter didn't hide from his past. They all talked about it and they shared it and they loved. You see, we are not here to complain and to condemn and to judge and to hate and to be angry and to promote a political party or whatever. We are not here to feel like we're better than other people just because we're here. We're not. We are here to tell people, this is how I was saved. And this is what God means to me. And this is what God has done through me. And this is how I do what I do. And this is how I go where I go. And this is how I show what I show. We are here to show Jesus. We are here to show the Bible, to show the creeds, to show the sermons. We are here to be an example. You see, anytime someone sees an example of Jesus, whether or not they listen in that moment, whatever they do, it is impossible not to notice. We can do this. As a church, as a people, we have a chance to minister and to be an example and to be like Jesus in a world that so desperately needs to see it. Because there are a lot of people that have a microphone and they say that they're following the Bible. But they preach anger and hatred. Separation. We can do more. Paul shows us we can do more. And we do that by trusting him by loving him, and by showing him to everyone we meet. That's all I got.